Good morning, Midtown. The coolest church in Atlanta, Georgia. Come on, somebody. I love you guys. <laughs> For those of you that are visiting with your family, this is one of five campuses that we have, and um, our main campus was in Norcross. And when we planted this campus, we had no idea that God would send us such amazing pastors as Mo and Kendra to help us to do this campus in Midtown. And we were only just a couple hundred people really trying to build a church here. And look what happened in the last two or three years since they took over this church. Come on, y'all are, y'all are buzzing right now. I, I, I love all of our campuses. I love all of our campus pastors. But you know how parents love all their kids. But I do have sometimes my favorites, and they are my favorites. I, I just give your pastors a warm, warm thank you for what they do in this church. We love them so much. So we are in a series. We're starting a new series this weekend uh, across all the campuses. And uh, this is a kind of a culmination of, of, of all the sermons that have been preached this year. And I, I told Pastor Johnson, I told all these pastors, I said, of all the 33 years since, I've st since we started this church, of all the series that we've ever done in this church, this year, I think, has been the strongest and most powerful sermon series in the entire time. And I had nothing to do with it. It was Pastor Johnson's idea. He felt like the Lord said that to him uh, be before the beginning of the year, that we were going to spend an entire year just on one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus in the most fa famous sermon in the history of the world. As he culminates this sermon, uh, he, start, he starts into this last kind of dissertation in Matthew chapter 7. And if you wouldn't mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, because I, I want you to follow along with me with the word. And in this particular uh, closing message or the closing statements that he makes, he says something that <clears throat> I remember years ago when I was reading this that really caught my attention. He talks about how you build your life. He says how you build your life will determine how you're going to make it through life. In other words, when tough times come, when difficulties come, when storms arise in your life, what's your foundation is like is going to determine the success of your life. And so I'm just going to read his words and then we'll go from there. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I was thinking about that particular scripture many years ago when we were in a series called The Future Church. I've been asking the Lord to show me what's coming to the earth. What's, how do we prepare the church for the future? Because when I read the Bible, it's kind of it's clear that as the future comes, things don't get better, they actually get worse. And I think we can all agree that we're living in a very challenging time right now. There's all kinds of things that have been unleashed upon society to steal, to, to kill, and to destroy the faith of people who believe in Jesus. In fact, if you're a Christian now, you're living in a very hostile world. You're not living in a world that's friendly 
like it used to be to Christianity. And depending on what part of the world you live in, it could be very dangerous for you to be a Christian. And he's trying to prepare the church for the future. He's trying to show that in times of trouble, when things happen, there's a way to build your life so that you can stand, so that you can be strong, and you can make it through those trials and tribulations. But if you don't build it correctly, then you'll fall. The best illustration I could come up with, this happened to me in uh, 2018, my wife and I bought some investment property down in Sandestin, Florida, back around 2011, and it was a townhome on the bay of Sandestin, and we're literally no more than 20 feet from the front row here from the water out our back door of the bay, and we love it. We love getting up in the morning. We love being able to go down there periodically to write, to think, to pray, to play golf, to visit with our friends. And we, were, we had just left, and we'd come back home, and we started seeing uh, that there was a weather report of a hurricane coming to that area. So we were following the hurricane. You don't really care about hurricanes till they're coming to your house. <laughs> and, and we started following the hurricane, and we recognized it wasn't going to hit us directly, but it still had some possibility of causing damage. And sure enough, when the hurricane did come through that area, it didn't come directly over the Destin area, but it made the bay rise to the point where the water crested over the bank and came right up to our doorstep. We could see it with some remote cameras that came right up to our doorstep where water was literally splashing on our, our back door, but it did not come in the house. And we were very thankful for that, but we also recognized that there was another part of that area that got devastated. The two areas that got hit the hardest were Mexico Beach and Panama City. The hurricane was called Michael. And it, it just completely wiped out Mexico Beach. Mexico Beach was, uh, was, not a, it was not a remote beach, but it was, a, it was not a built-out place like Panama City, but there were a lot of houses there. And what was unique about this is after the hurricane was over and all the tragedy unfolded and many people lost their, their livelihoods, their businesses, their houses, there was this one house in Mexico Beach that did not fall. And it was right on the beach. And it was called, they actually had a name for it. It was called the Sand Castle. And this house was built by these two guys who decided to build a house that would be hurricane proof. So I want you to see the picture of the house. If we could put that up on the screen just so you'll see it. All the houses around it were wiped away. But look, it's perfectly intact after a Category 4 hurricane came through there with winds of about 140 to 145 miles per hour. And so they were asking these guys, they said, how did you build a house that could withstand those kind of winds? And they said, well, when we started to build this house, we, we wanted to make sure that it was, that it was storm-proof, that when a, no matter what kind of hurricane, even a Category 5, if it comes through, it could make it. So instead of uh, just building a normal beach house, we took these pillars of concrete and we went down 40 feet into the sand down until we hit rock. We went below the sand into the rock, and we went 40 feet, and he said it cost us a lot of money. It cost us about 30% more to build a house like this, but then we tied that in together with steel so that it could withstand, now check this out, 250 mile an hour winds. No hurricane has ever been over like 160 mile an hour, so they were ready for the winds, and they put the special glass, the special siding, everything on it, so literally that house sustained no damage. And it occurred to me that they had enough foresight to think ahead and they had enough investment into a property that they were willing to go a little extra 
to prepare for the storm. Did y'all hear what I just said? Now, how many of you know that has spiritual implications? That has spiritual implications because I think that for the most part, a lot of Christians in America are not prepared for the storm that's coming. They're not prepared. They're not prepared for what could happen in the economy. They're not prepared for what could happen with wars. They're not prepared for what could happen with sicknesses and plagues and diseases. They're not prepared for the persecutions. They're not prepared for the trials. They're not prepared. And it's been the responsibility of the church to prepare them. But unfortunately, many in the American church, instead of preparing the people, have preached messages that the people wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. So today I'm going to preach a message you need to hear, but you may not want to hear. Amen. Just know that I love you before I even get started. I love every one of you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to help you prepare. And those of you that are watching in the lobby, I'm here to prepare you as well. And, and those of you in the lobby, by the way, I, I understand what it's like. You thought you got here and you did not get in the sanctuary. And I know how that feels the first time that happens. It's kind of like I was watching a Jerry Seinfeld episode where he was sitting in first class and the other people were sitting in the second class in the back and they took the curtain, they just slammed it across. And Jerry Seinfeld said, if you just worked a little harder, you'd have got up here. And if you just got to church a little earlier. But you'll get here early next time. I know that you will. Amen. We're preparing a seat just for you. And some of the people that are here might be out there next week. You never know, depending on what their kids do that morning. Hallelujah. So this message is designed to help you. So I want you to understand that as you go through it, because you're going to hear some things that are not popular. Are you all okay with that? Can you, can you at Midtown handle unpopular things? Because I want you to understand something. The Bible is not popular. It's not popular anymore. It used to be popular in some, some spheres, but it's not popular anymore. In fact, it's becoming more and more unpopular with society. And we live in a world where if you actually believe the Bible, people think you're crazy. They think you believe in fairy tales. They think that your life is in a mystery world. It's not really dealing with reality. In fact, as you start to go through society, you begin to realize there's a real agitation in society against the Bible against the Word of God. But I want you to understand something, just so you understand who victory is, especially if you're visiting us. I, I feel like Joshua, when he, when he was trying to deal with Israel, who was backsliding, falling away from God, he said, if you want to go serve your other gods and your other idols, you go right ahead. But as for me and my house, the house of victory, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord, and it's not popular. So there's some questions that you're going to have to answer there's some things you're going to have to deal with inside if you're going to build your house on the rock. And the starting point is you're building your house on what we call the Word of God. So here's some questions I want you to think about. Three questions you're going to have to answer going forward. How, number one, will I handle peer pressure? How am I going to handle peer pressure as I go forward? Am I going to be able to handle it? 
Can I handle if people attack me on social media? Can I handle it if I, people I go to school with start to criticize my beliefs? Can I handle it if I'm sitting there listening to a professor expound upon why God is not the God of the Bible and the Bible is evil and it's, calling, and it's calling good bad and bad good? Can I handle it when friends that I used to have no longer want to be my friends or family members no longer want to have anything to do with me? Here's what the Bible says, and it's preparing us for the future, Paul the Apostle says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1. You should know this, that in the last days, everybody say last days. By the way, I think we're in the beginning of that. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and forgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. They might even come to Victory Midtown. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. In other words... Choose your friends wisely and recognize that there will be people that will come into your life not to encourage you, not to help you, but to use their peer pressure to dissuade you from their faith. Right. How are you going to handle peer pressure? Number two, how will I handle persecution? I don't think most of us really understand persecution. We think persecution is somebody saying bad things about us. We think persecution is somebody making an ugly statement on social media about us or coming against us for our beliefs. But let me tell you something. We live in a world right now where parts of the world are living under true biblical persecution. If I could tell you some of the things, I've been around 60 nations. I've preached a lot of different places. But one of the places that impressed me the most was China. I went to China about five years ago to do a leadership conference for what, we, what was then called the underground church, the underground church is a church that operates kind of covertly underground because if they come out from underground, they're, they're imprisoned, they're put in jail, and they're persecuted and sometimes tortured and put to death. And you say, well, that couldn't happen. It happens all the time all over the world. And I remember sitting in a room with some of the uncles, what they call the leaders of the underground church, who were responsible for over 100 million believers in the underground church. They have an above-ground church called the Three-Self Church, but that, self, that church is controlled by the government, and the government controls what they say and what they can't say from the pulpit. By the way, we're kind of moving in that direction today, where the government is calling the Bible sometimes hate speech if we speak things from the Word that doesn't agree with what society thinks is right. And so... This underground church is made up of a lot of people, but the leaders are all, in order to qualify to be in a leadership position, you've had to have been in prison, you've had to have been tortured, in some cases almost died, and many of the leaders have been in prison for many, many years. And I remember sitting there talking to some of these leaders and talking to some of the people that were responsible. I had probably about 300 people in the room. You can't gather large people in, in China. And these people were all responsible for thousands and thousands and thousands of people and I thought, who am I that I could speak to these people? But they, they did not understand. There was a lot of lack of understanding of leadership. They learned how to face persecution and deal with evangelism, but they were still learning leadership. So we were in this conversation, and I began to hear their stories. 
As they begin to share their stories of persecution, I begin to realize that most of us in America have no idea what it's like to be a Christian in a persecuted nation. We don't understand what that's like. What would happen if now suddenly you're the enemy? Where, where now, if you're a Christian, if you're confessing your faith as a Christian, you're put in prison. You're tortured. You're mocked. You lose your, your life. This is what happened in the Bible days. In the Bible days, they lost everything. They lost their family. They lost their friends. They many times lost their life. The question is, how can I handle? Will I be able to handle a persecution? Paul would write this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life. Let me ask you, how many of you want to live a godly life? Make sure you, make sure you understand this now. Everyone who, let me see your hands again. How many of you want to live a godly life? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And can I just tell you something? If you're not being persecuted, it's probably because you're not living a godly life. Did you hear what I just said? When you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. My wife and I, we lost our family over our relationship with Jesus initially. We lost many of our friends. We've lost people that we thought would never turn against us. But as we started to serve Jesus, we realized not everybody is pro-Jesus. All right, the third thing you're going to have to ask, answer is how will I handle deception? Now, here's the crazy thing about deception. When we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. And so it's possible that we could be sitting in this room deceived about certain things and not know that we're deceived. And so the Bible says this, and Paul again writes this in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 13, evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. We had a message a few weeks ago about false prophets and false teachers and how they're in various different forms. Some of them are in the government. Some of them are in the news media. Some of them are in entertainment. Some of them are in education. False prophets are not just preachers on pulpits. They're everywhere. And it says, and it causes people to be deceived. But he says, but you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures or the word of God from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture, everybody say all scripture. scripture. Now I want you to just circle that in your heart, not in your Bible because you don't have a Bible with you, you have a computer with you, but (laughs) if you ever have a physical Bible, circle it in your Bible, all scripture. Because here's what I think a lot of Christians do. I think they treat the scriptures like a cafeteria where I pick and choose what I want to believe, where I like a little dessert, I'll have a little macaroni and cheese, I'll have some biscuits and gravy, I'll have a little meat, but I don't want any vegetables, I don't want anything that tastes bad because I want to pick and choose what I believe and what I eat. And a lot of people say, well, not all scripture is true. Well, if not all Scripture is true, then what is true about the Scriptures? How do you get to pick and choose? When we pick what's true, then guess who's God? We are. We make ourselves God when we pick and choose what's true. Y'all all all right out there? So he's saying, he's qualified. All Scripture, look at this, is inspired by God 
and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Now, this is what's challenging because sometimes when we hear the scripture, it encourages us. In fact, I think next week you're going to hear a message. Uh, I get to speak to you again next week, not from here live, but in Norcross, but I'm speaking to all the campuses because all the pastors want to have off for Thanksgiving, so I get the bad services. So that's, how, that's what old pastors get now. You know it's true. That's all right. I'll be the one holy one during Thanksgiving. But... I got a message next week that you're going to be excited about. It's going to make you feel good. It's a, it's a feel-good message about how you make it through difficult times with joy, how you do that, all right? That's, you're going to love next week's message. It's going to be completely different from this week's message because sometimes the scriptures encourage us and sometimes they correct us. And I always tell people, when people say, how do you know you have a good staff member or you have a good leader? I said, you never know what you have until you correct somebody. You don't ever know what you have until you correct somebody. You don't even know what's going on in your children until you correct them. And then you find out they got demons going on inside of them. They were just the sweetest little kid, and then you correct them. We don't know what's down inside of us until we get corrected, do we? That's why it says wise people seek correction, but fools despise it. All right. So he says, all scripture is given to us, and he says to, 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 from our childhood to give us wisdom and salvation. He says, all scripture is inspired to give, show us what's true, we'll realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Right now in America, across America, pastors of churches, small and great, are being faced with a dilemma which the Bible prophesies the great departure from the faith, the great falling away. COVID, when COVID hit three years ago, it didn't cause people to backslide. It just revealed what was already in the church. It revealed the weaknesses of the church, and literally millions of people left the faith during COVID. They left the faith. They didn't just leave the church. They left the faith. 200 churches a week closed their doors during COVID, and never reopened. We don't see that here at Midtown because Midtown's a growing church. We are a growing church, so sometimes in a growing church, you don't feel the pain of churches that are not growing. But literally, thousands upon thousands of churches in America, not in third world countries, in America, have closed their doors, and literally entire congregations and denominations have shifted their theologies and doctrines to agree with the world to try to keep the people in their churches. The entire Methodist church is split in half over one issue, the LGBTQ issue. One church says it's right and one church says it's wrong and they're split over it. Entire bodies of believers are splitting over issues like that and the church is starting to experience a great departure. And it says before Jesus comes back, there is a great departure from the faith. So the question is, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle that when you see people leaving the faith? Are you going to let that affect your faith? Are you going to let that still kill and destroy your belief in who Jesus is? And it's the word that holds people together. But what's happening is a lot of leaders, and it's unfortunate, we live in a city where I'm seeing this happen right here in Atlanta, where pastors of large churches are compromising the word from their pulpits now to try to please the people. 
Try to keep the people coming and build the crowd. Listen, when you try to build the crowd, then you're going to miss the point of the Bible. When Jesus had the crowd following him, he would turn to the crowd and he would do what's called church uh, correction. He would say to the church, all right, we're going to thin this crowd out. All right, all of you that are following me, right now you're following me because I just fed you with loaves and fishes. But I'm going to say, tell you right now, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to forsake your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, and even your own life also if you want to be my disciple. Yeah. And it says that many that were following Jesus in the crowd left him. Yeah. Jesus is not trying to build a crowd He's trying to build a congregation of people that will live and believe the word of God. You don't, change, you don't change the world with believers. You change the world with disciples. Did you hear what I just said? At Victory, we're trying to make disciples, not believers. All right. So Amos said this. He saw into the future, and in Amos chapter 8, the prophet Amos, he says this in verse 11. It's kind of a profound statement. He says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, Well, I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Wow. A famine of the word of God. I believe we're living in those times. I believe we're living in where there's a famine in the word of God. I believe that a lot of churches no longer preach the word anymore. They preach what people want to hear. And then Timothy said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. And he's saying this specifically to pastors, but also to just people who follow the, the Lord. Preach the word of God. Let's say it together. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. I got good news for you, Midtown. You have pastors, Mo and Kendra, who preach the word. They will not bow their knee. I know. I wouldn't put them in this position if they would. They're strong in the word of God. And that's good for you. That's healthy for you. We don't disagree about the word. We agree about the word. We, we, we always have conversations about the word, and we realize that especially in Midtown, when you preach the word, it's challenging. You're right in the heart of the battleground. You're right in the heart of the city, the liberal city of Atlanta that completely goes against the word of God. You are fighting against the tide. You're swimming against the, the, the ocean that's coming against you. And in order for you to make it here in Midtown and be a strong Christian, you're going to have to be a person of the word. You're going to have to be strong in the word. Amen? Amen? All right, so here's some things you need to do to prepare yourself. Number one, will I believe the word is the only truth? Everybody say only truth. Only truth. Now, see, a lot of people say, well, truth is relative. Truth is relative. My truth may not be your truth. Your truth may not be my truth. I want to respect your truth. 
and you respect my truth. And that's what the world says. We just need to get along. We need to coexist with all these truths. But the reality is, is they're all good as long as you agree with their truth. But as soon as you disagree with their truth and you have your truth, you're the devil. And people that are evil are calling good evil and evil good. So when you start to think about it, what's happening? Well, we have a whole new emerging system of religion operating in the world. And the three big growing religions, number one is pluralism. Pluralism is the belief that there are many paths to God. I was watching an Oprah Winfrey special where she was arguing with a Christian who was saying that there's only one path and that's through Jesus. And she says, that can't be true. It can't be true. Because look at all these people in Muslim nations, all these people in Buddhist nations. They all are trying to get to God. There are many ways to God. Yes, Christianity is one of those ways, but it's just one. There are many ways. Well, then what do you do with the Word of God? Because the Word of God, who is Jesus, and by the way, Jesus is the Word. The Bible says Jesus is the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. And when he speaks words, they're a little bit more authoritative than Muhammad or Buddha. Muhammad died, and he did not raise from the dead. Buddha is in the grave and never came back. Jesus died and resurrected and lives forevermore. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is God in the flesh. And here's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one can come to the Father God except through me. He would go on to say, many try to climb up different ways. They try to get different ways to heaven. And they discover there's only one way. Everybody say one way. One way. Only one way. One way, and that's through Jesus. And if you don't believe that, listen to me. You don't believe the word. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. The Bible says that is the path to God. That's the only path to God. There is no other way. And so that means that some of our friends, some of our family members that don't believe that are not going to heaven until they do believe that, until they do believe in Jesus. And it's hard for us because we all have friends that live different lifestyles that have nothing to do with the word, and we love them, and we care for them, and it's hard for us to comprehend the fact that we're not all going to the same place, that our eternal life does not all end up the same way. The second religion is syncretism, and syncretism is simply the merging of many religious beliefs together. It's taking a little Christianity, a little Buddhism, a little Islam, a little New Age, a little crystals, a little zodiac, and putting it together. <laughs> Putting it together. Some of you might even do that. What's my horoscope? If you're dabbling in your horoscope, you're dabbling with syncretism. You believe there's other methods to get to God. You, you, you've, you're, you become one of these people called, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual. Have you ever heard of people say that? Yeah, you're spiritual. You're filled with a spirit that's not of God. How many of you know there are spirits that are not from God? They're called demons, in case you didn't know that. And there's no shortage of them in the earth. They didn't leave when Jesus left. They stayed here, roaming about the earth, seeking whom they may devour. And they, have, they take habitation in people. They confuse people. They deceive people. They get in professors in college. They get in 
bosses at work. They get in your neighbors. They can get in children. They can get in people's lives. And you all know that. You've seen it. You know, and I, I see it in operation, but you don't want to agree with it because then it means you have to deal with it. Yes, we live in a spiritual world. Absolutely. And the only way that you can have authority in that spiritual world is you have to believe that the word is the only word. It's the only way to Jesus is through, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And then there's atheism. Atheism is basically acknowledging there is no God. They say that now the growing trend in the young adults and young ages is atheism. It's not syncretism. It's not pluralism. It's no belief. I don't believe in anything. And their faith has been uh, eradicated or destroyed either by their education, by their experiences, by their friends, by social media. Since social media has kicked in, more and more young people are falling into this place of no longer believing in God. They're more agnostic or atheist where they don't believe in God whatsoever. So you have these three emerging trends, particularly in young adults, so to the point where people are no longer believing in the word. And when you don't believe in the word, then what do you believe in? You believe in whatever you choose to believe in, whatever public opinion, wherever you get your news. They say that 32% of the under 30 crowd gets their news from TikTok. Like TikTok is the word. TikTok has the foundational principles from which I build my life. TikTok has the wisdom that I need to gain in life. TikTok was created by communist China to deceive the world, not to encourage the world, with all kinds of bots and false religions and false teachings to infiltrate youth and culture in America and deceive them. And we as parents just throw those things out to our kids and say, go on and become a TikTok person. Become a social media influencer. Get on there and listen to all these different religious thoughts and ideas and form your own belief system. As soon as you start falling prey to that, you become God to yourself. You are your own God. How many of you know you make a poor God? I make a, how many of you, I make a poor God. I do not do well when I have to pray to myself. Oh, me. Help me become better me. Heal me, me. Prosper me, me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Let me take a picture of me while I'm healing me and doing me things. It's a me world. Look at me. <laughs> so do I believe that a book authored by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years that includes 66 different books covering thousands of years of history can really be cons uh, seriously considered something that is accurate and still relevant to my life today? The beauty of the scriptures is while they were written hundreds and thousands of years ago, are still applicable to this day. Not only are they applicable, but they're prophetic. They speak of what's coming. And everything they've spoken up to this point has already come to pass. Jesus was spoken of hundreds and thousands of years before he ever came on the earth. All the destructions of the world, all the wars, the rumors of wars, the challenges of the earth, all the things we're reading that Paul's talking about in Timothy, that was 2,000 years ago and is still as applicable today as it, is, uh, as it was back in those days. So I'm asking myself, is the word true about Jesus is the only way? Is the word true that there's an actual 
literal hell where people go, not prepared for them, but they go because they denied and refused Jesus in their life. Is the word true about my sexual life and choices? Is it true about sexual identity issues that we're dealing with today? Does the word have truth about that, or am I left to figure that up for myself? This is the great debate. When Genesis introduces the creation of the world, and Adam and Eve are on the world, and God says to them, there's two things you are in the garden. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Partake of the tree of life, and you will live. Partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you shall surely die. He warned them, don't eat of that tree. Do not eat of that tree, because you're not prepared to know what you're going to know when you eat of that tree. I think when we hand out Apple computers, it's not much different than handling them an apple in the garden. You are not prepared to go into a world and know what this world's about to unveil to you. You're not prepared to know it. It's interesting that the symbol for apple is a bite out of the apple. And here we have Adam and Eve, and Genesis chapter 3 says that the first thing, the first words out of Satan's mouth, the serpent's mouth is, has God really said? Has God really said that truth is, is the Bible? The world says truth is relative. The world says truth is changing. The world says there is no such thing as absolute truth. I remember as I'm learning this principle of the Bible, and I'm young, a young adult, I had just gotten out of God's college, the University of Georgia. You know that's God's college. Big G on the helmet. Two-time, almost three-time national champion in a row. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know it's okay to be a Christian and still be a football fan. It's all right. So... I'm out of college. I'm just completely secularized, not a Christian, don't believe in God. I believe in God, but I don't really understand who God is, don't understand the Bible. And then God slays me. He slays me in a van driving from Atlanta back to New York where I was living, and I literally get overtaken by the Spirit of the Lord. I surrender my life into a van. Nobody's talking to me. I surrender my life to Jesus. I have a Damascus Road experience. And I got completely converted. And when I get converted, the first thing that I'm taught to do by a friend of mine is you got to get in the Bible. Start reading the Bible. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm coming in conflict with the Bible and what I believe to be true. And, 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 and you know, I, I had grown up with all kinds of liberal ideas. I, I, I was all for the LGBTQ uh, community. I was all for sexual identity issues. I was all, back in, this is back in the 80s, I was very progressive in my thought. And I read the Bible and I see all kinds of conflict with that in the Bible. And I have to ask myself, okay, can I really just self-identify what sexual identity I want to have? Can I really just choose my sex? Can I just say one day, I, 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 I'm a man, but I feel like a woman or I'm a woman and I feel like a man, or I feel attracted to a man even though I'm a man, or I feel attracted to a woman. Can I really identify that way personally? Can I, do, can I make my own decision? And then the Lord said, what does the word say about that? What does the Bible say about that? And I start reading through the Bible, and I come, come into all kinds of conflict with all the sexual identity teaching that I'd learned in college. And I begin to realize, okay, either I'm God or God is God. Either, either I make my own truth or the truth is in the Bible. And then I began to realize, I started to play that out a little further, and I started thinking, 
If I can choose that how I feel is who I am, then if I feel I'm attracted to children, then I am a pedophile. And that must mean I need rights. I need equal rights because I choose to be this way. I must be this way. Where does it end, guys? Where does it end? Where is the end gap? Where, where does it end? When we talk about sexual perversion and identity, where does it end? It ends in the Bible. The Bible puts an end to it. That's why so many people are coming hard against the Bible. Because the Bible is holding its ground in that area. And people who are followers of Jesus understand that you are not created with a wrong identity or a wrong body or a wrong sexuality. You are created in the image of God, male and female. If you're a male, you're a male. If you're a female, you're a female. And there is no place in the Bible for men to marry men or women to marry women. And here's where it comes in conflict with us. We all have friends in that world. We all have family members in that world. And it's personal when we have friends. And it's personal when we have family members. And it's personal when somebody's sitting next to us in church that's struggling with that. And the reality is God loves every human being regardless of what they believe about that. He loves us all. He didn't die just for people who would obey the Bible. He died for people who won't obey for the Bible. He died for people who are in sin. He died for people who are deceived. He died for people who are in darkness. And that's why we're here in this world to be light in the midst of this darkness. We are not to blend in. We are to stand out. We are to brightly shine what the word of God says in a loving, godly way. Not in a judgmental way. Not in a harsh way. But it says, I love you enough to tell you the truth instead of just agree with you to make you feel better about your deception. Yes, God. Yes. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And what's going to happen? The truth shall set you free. Now, how many of you have ever been set free from something? Let me see your hands. You've been set free. And those of you that haven't been set free, today is your day of freedom. Amen. God is setting you free from deception, from believing the wrong way. The second thing, will I stand on the word even though it's not popular? When I start to lose my friends, when my family turns against me, Colleen and I, I told you before, we both, our family turned against us when we became Christians. Her father said to her when she walked out the door to come join me in my Christian journey, he said, if you leave and you do this, you are no longer part of our family and we will never talk to you again. As far as I'm concerned, he said this to my wife, you're dead. That's hard words to hear from your father. My grandmother said to me, if you follow this Jesus, which is a fairy tale, she said, if you follow this Jesus, it's nothing but fairy tales. And she said, I never want to see you again. I never want you to hear my house again. Friends of mine said to me, now, now that you become a Christian, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. You're not cool anymore. You, you, you don't agree with what we are doing. and you, you, you're, you, It feels like you're judging me. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. I still want to be your friend. But I can't agree with what you're doing. I'm not going to go along with the lifestyle. And when you stop agreeing with people's lifestyles, you become an enemy. You become an outcast. The question is, can you deal with that? Now, you think about this. If you are a Jew in Israel and you become a Christian... 
which is very few. I go over there. I was going over there for several years, every six months, training uh, Messianic Jewish leaders. And I would talk to their kids, to their, their, their teenagers and their young adults. And I said, what's it like? And they said, you would not believe how hard it is to be a Christian in Israel. So once you become a Christian in Israel, you're cast away from the Jewish people and you're cast away from the people in the world. You no longer have either side to turn to. There's just a very small remnant of people in Israel that follow Jesus as young adults. And we have to find each other in order to help each other make, navigate the incredible unpopularity and persecution that we have to deal with. I started thinking about back in the history of the Bible when people became Christians back in the days of Jesus after Jesus left the earth. They had to sign up for possible torture, death, and probably uh, you know, losing their entire family. Most of them lost their jobs. They lost their families. They lost their future. Some of them were tortured. They were torn in half. All of the apostles were tortured in some fashion, and 11 of the 12 were martyred for their faith. Most believers were put in different positions of torture. They were hung upside down on crosses. They were lit on fire so people could watch them burn. They were put in stadiums where tigers and lions would tear them apart, all in, in the voice of entertainment. These were all people who followed Jesus, and we think we're being persecuted when somebody criticizes us. Y'all all right out there? So... Here's what Paul would say. Finally, my brethren, this is in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord. Why? Why is he saying that? Because you're coming up against an enemy that you're not aware of. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put the whole armor of God. Now, when he says put the armor of God, he's saying you're about to go to battle. There's a war that's about to ensue that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the the devil, the strategies of the evil one. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, you have a real devil to deal with in the earth. And he functions supernaturally in the spirit. And you better learn how to be strong or you'll be deceived, you'll be overcome, and you will not live out the life God called you to do. And then he goes on. And he says, after you've been strong, he says, put on this whole armor. He says, first of all, gird your loins with truth. What is truth? The word of God. For you can hook up all your soldier things, you've got to have some kind of loin belt to hook them all up too. So the first thing you do in the morning is you put on the word of God so that you're ready for battle. If you go out to battle without the word, you've got all these weapons. Well, they're not hooked up to anything, and so you're just flipping and flailing. You're reacting to the devil instead of taking authority over the devil. And he says, he says, above all, he says, then you take on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts, the thoughts that the enemy throws at your mind of the wicked one. Putting on the helmet of salvation and then taking up the sword of the spirit. What's the sword of the spirit? The word of God. The word of God is not powerful when you just think about it. The word of God is powerful when you speak it. When you say it, you got to learn how to speak the word of God because in the word of God, you have authority over the power of the enemy. The devil does not have authority in your life. Quit talking to me about what the devil's doing. If you're talking about what the devil's doing, it's because you're letting the devil do stuff. The devil has no right in your life. 
He has no right up here whispering in your ear, keeping you awake at night. He has no right in your thought realm. For you are mighty through God to pull down every stronghold and bring into captivity every thought of disobedience into the obedience of Jesus Christ. You've got to learn how to speak the word of God. With all prayer and supplication, you've got to speak the word of God. And then finally, will I trust in the word even if things get difficult? Now let me just ask you a question before we go any further. I just want you to take a pause and just think about this. How many of you could honestly say that right now in my life, things are difficult? Just let me just see. Things are challenging right now. It's okay. Well, we got some Christians in the house. Can I just tell you something? If you're really going after God, life can get difficult. It's, it doesn't get easy. I, I, I've been pastoring here for 30 years plus the last three years as the founding pastor. I know what it's like to go through difficult times. I know what it's like. And when you go through difficult times, you think sometimes, I don't see the answer on the other side. I don't see I'm going to get through this. And this is challenging for a lot of people because they don't know how to fight through this. They don't know how to stay strong and make it through this. When I'm reading the Bible, I, I remember I was going through a difficult time when we started this church in 1990. We had had three months of services with six people in a daycare center, and we had no visitors. Now, if you can imagine coming every Friday night, every Sunday morning, no visitors for three months. Finally, we had one visitor, but it was by accident. She accidentally <laughs> dropped in thinking she was going somewhere else, and she slipped into our service. She promised me she'd come back, but I've never seen her again. <laughs> one Sunday, I preached to two people. Four of my six faithful ones did not show up. I preached to two people, and they had a little girl. So Colleen was the children's minister. I was the usher. We were the greeters. <laughs> I took up the offering with the two people. They didn't give that Sunday. <laughs> I even gave the altar call, but they were already saved. <laughs> and I remember after the service, we took them out to dinner the next night, and I remember talking to them. And I said to them, I want you to understand something. We're not trying to start a church. We are going to start a church. And I said, I, I expected to have some adversity. And I know it's hard when we see nobody showing up. I said, but you have to understand something. Sometimes in order to achieve something significant, you have to go through difficult times. Did you hear what I just said? Something happened to me when I said that. And then I said to them, we're going to be fine. And I said, we'll preach even if you don't show up. So just know you can count on it. We're going to stay strong. We're going to stay strong. Something happened after that. That next week, God gave an idea to put our little church on a radio spot. And people heard it. And they started calling into the church, which was our house, by the way. <laughs> and this was before cell phones. It was our regular phone. And, and, we're, and, we're, call, and we're answering the phone. And I said, Colin, you're going to have to answer. Victor, and we were called Victory Christian Center by the Answer the phone. Victory Christian Center, may I help you? And people were calling, where's your church? We just heard about you on the radio. That Sunday, 33 people showed up wow. for the first service. They showed up. And I remember saying to the church, I said, all of you that are first-time visitors, would you all stand to your feet? <laughs> and the entire church stood to their feet, except for my six people. And those six people were like, God has answered our prayer. That church went from 33 to 100 
to 200, to 1,000, to 5,000, to 10,000, to 17,000, five campuses, 145 nations. That's what that church became. But what would have happened if we had not been strong? If we'd have been giving up? I remember reading the scriptures when I was so discouraged where Joshua was facing this, this amount, this unsurmountable odds against him as he's about to possess the land. And by the way, can I just say that you are called to possess land? I want you to think about that. What land am I called to possess? Could be in the business world. Could be in the educational world. But overall, as a church, we're called to possess Atlanta. Some of you are like, I thought we are just having church in Atlanta. No, we're called to possess Atlanta. We're called to take this land for the kingdom of God. We've not been put in this earth to just have Sunday morning messages and go home and feel good about ourselves. We are called to be raised as an army. That's why when you come to church here, it's not just about hearing messages and being a good person. It's about training you and equipping you to do the work of the ministry in the world. What happens between the Sundays is really what the church is all about. The church is not about Sunday. It's about what happens between Sundays. What you do outside of the church when nobody's watching. Are you possessing land? And so the Lord had told us we're we're called to possess land. We're called to the the four pillars. We're called to build strong families. We're called to transform the communities around us. We're called to reconcile cultures. And we're called to impact the world. That's our fourfold vision. That's our pillars of the church. You see them everywhere you go. That's what we're called to do. That's been the case for the last 33 years. We became the most multicultural church in America about 10 years ago. We are a very unique church. Now, you might say in Midtown, it doesn't seem we're really multicultural. You just go to some of our other campuses. We are multicultural. (laughs) It wouldn't hurt for some of you to invite some other races to the church (laughs) other than your own. It shows me who you hang out with, amen? (laughs) So sometimes you have to go into places you're not comfortable with. And bring people from other races into your life and other cultures. It's part of who we're called to be. Come on, somebody. Amen? Amen. 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 When I talked to our six people, they were all white. I said, all right, we're not going to be an all-white church. They did a good job. Would you all agree? They did a good job. (laughs) Now the challenge is on the black folks. All right, black folks, we need some white folks. We need some Hispanic folks. We need some Asian. Come on, somebody. We need some different races. We need some different cultures. All right. That's just a side note. (laughs) Here's what God said to Joshua. Listen to this. This is powerful. We'll close with this. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law. The law is the word of God, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. In other words, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. Can I get a big amen on that? Some of y'all think, I'm pretty sure he's a this. No, he's not. We're about to go into an election year. Could I just have y'all agree with me that you're not going to get in arguments with other people of other belief systems about politics? We are not a church about politics. God is not a politician. God is sovereign. The, The condition of our nation, listen to me is not determined by who the president of the United States is. The president of our United States is Jesus. The president of the nation within a nation is Christ. We, we are a nation within a nation. 
Yes, we go vote. Yes, we can support politics, but that's not who we're called to put our faith in. Our faith is not in government. Thank goodness. Our faith is not in the business community. Our faith is not in education. Our faith is in God and God alone. And he says, be strong and be courageous. Don't turn from the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law, which the book of the law, the word, shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, you shall never stop speaking it. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, in case you didn't hear it the first time, let me say it again. Be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many of you believe that, Midtown? How many of you believe that? When you get up in the morning and you go to work, if you're going to work tomorrow, the Lord is with you wherever you go. When you go right into the midst of unbelief and all kinds of demonic activity, you are with the Lord and the Lord is with you. And here's what he's saying to you all the way, every single day. Be strong. Be courageous. Quit bending your knee to peer pressure, to popular opinion, to what's on TikTok or Instagram. Only bend your knee to one thing, Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Be strong and courageous, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I'm here to tell you, on the back end of 33 years, we have been prosperous, and we have good success. And we have not compromised the word, and we will never compromise the word here at Victory. It will never, we'll never bend our knee to it. You will never hear a preacher on this stage preaching compromise to the word of God. It will never happen. If you want that, there's other churches all around us that'll give you that. If you want the word, you're in the right spot. And if you want to found your life on pillars that are 40 feet down below the sand and the rock with steel girders around them, around your life, if you want to found your life on something Base it on the word of God, not on public opinion, not on what people say, not on news, not on what does the word say. And as for me and my house, we will serve you, God. We will be strong. We will be courageous. And we will possess the land that you put us here for. Midtown, you are here for such a time as this. God has brought you to Atlanta for such a time as this. Every one of you is a missionary of the kingdom of God. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, you are a missionary. And when you go out of here, be a missionary. If you believe in God, act like you believe in God. Talk like you believe in God. Live like you believe in God. Be strong. Be courageous. You're a son and a daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who you are. That's who you are. So Pastor, Pastor Johnson and Summer came up with this wonderful idea. They said, you know, he talks about keeping the word before you. In the Bible, it's called a mezuzah, 
where they would literally put scripts, scriptures on parchment paper and they would put it up in their houses so that they every day they would read what the Word says, what the Word says, who they are, what they're called to do, what they're about. And so they made up these mezuzahs so that every family could get one today. We want you to take this home. We want you, when you leave today in the lobbies, if you would like to keep the Word before you, get one of these. This is very biblical. The Jewish people do this with the Old Testament. And they keep it up in the Word. And I, I do this in my house. I have Scripture in my house. How many of you have Scripture in your house somewhere? You, you can see it on a daily basis. I have a little Scripture right before my coffee maker. I get up in the morning. The first thing I do is make coffee because, uh, you know, that is God's way to wake you up. <laughs> and, I'm, and this little Scripture, and it just says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And it helps to still my soul and remind myself, I have a God who's for me. I have a God who lives inside of me. And I have a God that's with me wherever I go. And I'm telling you, there's something on the other side of believing that that's miraculous. It's powerful. And when you operate like that and you stand on the Word of God, no matter what's happening around you, God puts His hand on you. He'll take a thousand people and go over them to get to one person who will believe his word, who will trust in him. Will you be those people? Will you be those people here in Midtown? And if you are those people, you understand this building is not large enough to handle what God wants to do in Midtown. You will have to plan another Midtown campus and another Midtown campus. And you will have to expand your tent and make it larger. You will have to start small groups in your home and invite people into your home because there's not enough room. They're sitting out in the lobby Sunday morning. we got to bring them into our home because so many people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. They're just waiting. And if you'll just obey God and be strong, stand on the Word of God, I'm telling you, you cannot fail. It's a guarantee biblically. It doesn't mean you won't be attacked, but you cannot fail. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up to your feet. Be strong. Stand up to your feet. I want to pray a prayer over you, and then we'll be dismissed. I'm going to pray a, a, a prayer over you, but I also want to ask God to do something over you. So let's just lift our hands to heaven. Let's just lift them up to God. Jesus, you see your sons and your daughters that have come to church this morning to hear your word. Pray that they've heard your word this morning. And God, I pray that those who are open, those who are receptive to the word of God, those who are ready and willing to obey your word, that today you would put your hand on their life. You would anoint them with strength and courage in this incredible world that we live in. I pray as they go out the doors, God, and they begin to meditate on your word day and night, and they begin to put it at the foundation of their life, that they'll be like that house with steel girders and pillars down deep in the soil of your word, so that no matter what storms come, no matter what trials they go through, they'll make it. They'll have good success. They'll prosper. They'll be in health. Their marriages will be blessed. Their children will grow up knowing you and serving you all the days of their life. And their families will eventually come to you 
They'll come to you, Jesus, and see that your word is true. And so I pray, God, that you would bless them with strength. Bless them with courage. And send them out, God, with the word of God that tells them who they can do and what they can do if they just obey your word. I pray this over them, your sons and your daughters, that we will possess this land. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give him praise.